Welcome to Breakthrough Barriers with Damali. I'm your host, Damali Peterman. On this podcast, we invite you to share a conflict that you need help navigating, and I, along with a guest co-host, will share what we would do in that situation to help you reach your breakthrough. Welcome to the show. On today's episode, I am thrilled to have Dana R. Fisher in the studio. Dana, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Damali. Thank you for being here. Dana, in addition to being amazing at so many wonderful things, she is a professor and she's a prolific author. And her latest book, American Resistance, will drop tomorrow. Can I say drop for a book? You can definitely say drop for a book. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about the book, Dana? Well, the book, American Resistance, actually uh, traces the resistance from the day it began at the Women's March, the day after the inauguration in 2017, and tracks the people who got involved and follows them through the blue wave in the midterm elections in 2018. It's about all these people who woke up and stayed stayed woke. I love that. Hashtag stay woke. Exactly. Let's go with it. And so usually I like to tell our listeners how I met my co-host. I was really fortunate to meet Dana at the Columbia University Press's Publisher Salon. And what that is, it's basically a private setting for getting people excited about a book launch. And so I met Dana, I have the book, I started reading it, and it's so incredible that I wanted to get her into the studio to share her and her knowledge with everyone here. Well, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And I'm so excited because the book's not even out yet. And we're already talking about it. Yeah, we have this sneak preview of the book and tomorrow it'll launch. And I understand from Dana that it's launching one year to the date from the 2020 election. Right. So tomorrow is uh, Tuesday, November 5th. And Tuesday, November 5th is election day. And a year from tomorrow will be election day 2020. Well, we have a lot to look forward to. And hopefully this book will help us figure out what we can do in the meantime. I certainly hope so. So Dana, tell us a little bit more about you. Well, uh, as you mentioned, I'm a professor of sociology at the University of Maryland. I have been studying protest and activism since the 1990s. Um, I actually was not really planning on writing this book. I was supposed to be writing a book about climate politics around the 2016 election. And the outcome of the election and the policy decisions that were made quickly thereafter were really depressing. I know probably a lot of your listeners got depressed by the outcome of the election as well. And so... All of a sudden, I heard about people who were organizing this huge women's march. And since I'd been studying activism and protest for many years, some of my colleagues and I decided that we wanted to get out there and survey who was participating. And when we went out into the crowd, it was it was just awesome, for lack of another word. It was just this amazing group of people. It was the largest, one of the largest events I've ever been at. It was the largest protest in US history, if you count all the events that happened sub, you know, simultaneously around the country. And we got out there and surveyed the crowd and learned so much about why people were marching and why people were participating. And then basically I decided that I had to track them and see what came next. And what came next was a whole bunch of activism, a whole bunch of what I call resistance in the streets that's marching and yelling. But also I tracked those people back into their congressional districts and into their communities and looked at how they were doing what I call resistance in the districts, which is getting involved in their communities, getting involved politically around both the midterm elections. And now I think we're going to see them continuing to stay involved as we march towards 2020. 
So they haven't lost any excitement or fervor for resisting. No, certainly not. I mean, one of the things that I talk about a lot in the book is the fact that the resistance is fueled by outrage. And unfortunately, we're living in a time where there is just so many outrageous things that have been taking place coming from both the president as well as the Trump administration more broadly, that people continue to be engaged and energized by this outrage that that motivates them not just to march. In fact, I think we see somewhat less marching now than we saw in 2017, but that doesn't mean people aren't involved. They're just channeling their outrage into activism and engagement in their communities. I love that. And activism can show up in many different ways, right? Mm-hmm. And so what have you seen? I know that you've been lauded for having amazing, innovative ways of polling people and surveying. What else have you seen? So what I've done is basically not only did we survey and take random samples of all of the large-scale protest events that have happened since the Women's March, which was what I call the spark that ignited the resistance, but in addition to that, I actually did two waves of follow-up surveys with all those people. So that's almost 2,000 people whom I followed up with both six months before the midterm elections as well as two days after the midterms to find out what they did. And I basically found that they did so much more than just march and yell. They actually, and they did so much more than vote or donate money. They canvassed, they wrote postcards, they registered voters and knocked on doors. And all of those things are part of active democracy and active engagement, which is what we, we really need and which is what we're seeing right now. That's fantastic. It's also somewhat of a roadmap for people who are listening as well. If you're trying to figure out other ways to get involved and to be politically engaged, you have you know canvassing, you have uh, writing postcards. Who are they going to? to so the Congress postcards or? are going to actually, um, they're going to voters. Okay. And they're actually appealing to voters for them to think about whom, whom they should support in elections. I mean, and what, what's really important here is that I also talked with these, what I call resistance groups, which are new groups that emerged after the election to fill what I think of as an infrastructural gap that existed at the local level. And those groups include, you know, Indivisible, ACLU's People Power, uh, the Women's March National Group, which did a lot of organizing both locally through huddles as well as around the march, March On, um, and so many other groups. And so basically what's been happening is these groups help to channel this enthusiasm into real types of activism and engagement through activities such as writing postcards. So people get together in their communities and they write postcards or they go out. I mean, this past weekend, there was a, a lot of uh, canvassing all over the country for people who are going to be voting tomorrow in the election. So a lot of different people went out and knocked on doors to try to make sure that everybody knew and were prepared to go out and vote in Tuesday's election. And that kind of activity needs to continue happening, obviously, leading up to 2020. Absolutely. And so what I like about that is I feel like there are so many ways that we can activate the resistance. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like it's not waning at all. No, I mean, I don't think it's waning at all. What I think is interesting right now is that people are really focusing their attention very carefully on leading up towards 2020. Okay. And the big question will be, as we see who emerges as the Democratic nominee, there are questions about the degree to which they will actually capture this enthusiasm that we see in the resistance. But also, as we continue going forward after the 2020 election, the outcome will determine what happens to the resistance. If, for example, 
we were to have another four years of the Trump administration or perhaps the Pence administration, if uh, if impeachment goes forward, then we could see an American resistance that's much more confrontational, and it may change the tactics that we see in the streets. But for now, what we really see is people who are working through the system to try to make the kind of change that you know our forefathers wanted for this country. I'm happy you said that because I think when I hear the word resistance, it's a deeply charged emotional word. And I think that some people's orientation with the word resistance is probably more on the negative side. But I like that you said you see it as enthusiasm that's being channeled the way that our forefathers had intended. And so the resistance can take many forms. It doesn't have to be an uprising, per se. Not at all. In fact, I would say that one of the things that is a hallmark of the resistance so far is how remarkably peaceful and consistent with, you know, more traditional ways of engaging in institutional politics. Sounds good to me. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, I wanted to tell you a little bit more about the format of our podcast. And so you can simply call in on our hotline number to leave a message asking a question that you're contemplating. And it doesn't have to be a conflict. It could be anything about what's going on, and perhaps you're not sure how to navigate it. It can be an actual conflict that you really want to hear from someone who's not invested in the outcome. With the co-hosts on the air for the first time, we play the message and give you some feedback on what we would do in that situation. So what are you waiting for? Pick up your phones and leave us a message and we'll try to get it on the air. So without further ado, Dana, how about we play the first message? Let's do it. You have you one, have mess- one message. Hi, my name is Margo. I live in New York City, but I am originally from Pennsylvania. And when I go home for the holidays, especially during this time of year, it's really tricky to talk to people who are on opposing sides politically. Uh, In New York, I feel like we kind of live in a bubble. So how do I deal with someone who doesn't share my same political view and how to conversate with them? Thanks. That's an interesting question, right? That's a hard question. I mean, and I, I have to say that I can empathize with Margo because I also have to go home to Pennsylvania during the holidays. And there are lots of different views around our Thanksgiving table, for sure. I think that um, what's really important for people that maybe you can get out of American resistance is thinking, first of all, that nobody is alone in in what you're feeling and what you've experienced since the election. I think that the, one of the, one of the, one of my big findings is that when people went out into the streets during that first women's March is it was, it was in a lot of ways an opportunity for this kind of group therapy to create what we call in academia collective identity, which is this sense that you are not alone and there are so many people who are dealing with the same thing. There are also so many people who are challenged by the fact that at home, when they talk to family members, many people have different views and we are living in such a polarizing time. And the biggest thing that I would just say is that we all need to own our truths and we need to be open to listen to people and their perspective. But I do believe that we should try to do it in a really civil and respectful manner. So as my advisor in graduate school used to say, all ideas are fair game, but people are not fair game. And I think that we need to to hold that truth really close to us when we're talking to family, particularly because in family, you tend to start to get really personal really fast. I think also with family, uh, family and people who you're close to in general know your triggers. 
Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Especially <laughs> and, those who you grew up with, right? Oh, my gosh, right? And then they'll be like, remember that time in third grade? And you're like, wait, I'm like 50 years old now, right? <laughs> but, but I think what happens is um, I like the quote that your advisor said because, yeah, ideas are fair game, but people are not. And if we can find that space, to your point, about having a space where you can have a civil and respectful conversation, then it should be okay to have different points of view. Think about how boring the world would be if everyone thought the same way. For sure. I think we've seen a lot of personal attacks coming from the president and coming from the White House since the election. And unfortunately, it's normalized this notion that it's okay to attack personally. And I think that one of the best things we can do is take that back and say, no, we're not going to attack people individually, but it's okay not to agree with one another on their ideas. And I agree with you completely, Damali, that really it's the diversity uh, of the people of America that makes America so great. Absolutely. Diversity of the people, diversity of thought. Yes. And I think that one of the things that I teach on a regular basis is separating the person from the problem, separating the position from the interest. And then how do we have difficult conversations? And we were chatting about this before we started recording, uh, which is following the 2016 elections, I was asked to go in uh, and facilitate a conversation with people on both sides of, of the political you know, party, if you will. And we were invited by a big uh, nonprofit, a PAC group, and they were like, we invited people from both sides of the party, um, of the party lines, and we want to make sure that there's a space, a safe space that you can facilitate for them to have a conversation because in order for us to move forward in New York, we need to have that dialogue, we have to lean into the heat. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that at that event, I think half people showed up and only Democrats showed up. None of the Republicans showed up. And so what it ended up being was kind of a conversation about, well, why didn't they show up? They were victorious in the elections. So how come no one's here to provide their perspective? And what we did from that point on was we worked on listening techniques, right? Because what do you do when you're at the table with someone else? How do you sit there and respectfully listen if you fundamentally agree with, disagree rather, with what they're saying? And that has happened to me in many situations where I've heard people say, you know, I've lost friends and family because of my political views. And I don't know how to reconcile that with my values. Yeah, I mean, I think these are all very good points. In terms of thinking about how to reconcile these ideas with your values, I think that it's important to just to be fair and true to yourself and recognize that, you know, you can't be a different person, but that doesn't mean that you have to be, you know, a person who is going to be antagonistic to people with different views from you. So again, I think... I mean, what really unites the American resistance, and I talk about this a lot in the book, is that it is such a diversity of individuals. It's a diversity of ideas, of motivations, of issues that are important to people. And I talk about how different motivations bring people out into the streets and into their districts to do activities. But at the same time, there are some consistencies. There's a lot of very educated people, predominantly women, who have gotten involved and stayed involved. And I think that... In times like these, we really need to have people to work with, and it's wonderful when you have them to talk to and to see and and do activities with, and and you can do more than just talk to them on the phone. Absolutely. So, Dana, the next question actually is coming from me because I'm super excited to have you in the studio and have your book in my hands right now. And what I want to do as I'm telling people about the book and about your work is to figure out what the takeaways are 
from the book. So for someone who may be new to resisting, like we already talked about ways you can go out and canvas and to be more politically engaged. But what are some other takeaways for someone who is like, wow, we're a year from the next election. I haven't done anything for the last three years or perhaps ever. And I want to do something right now. Well, I think the biggest thing you can do is you can find other people who think like you do and start to work with them. And that's one of the reasons that I think these resistance groups are so important. They're so important in communities. And as I talk about in the book, they're the connective tissue of our democracy because organizations help to channel enthusiasm or sometimes outrage into activism that matters. And I think that that is so needed right now. So for people who haven't gotten involved, there's still plenty to do. So all you need to do is find people who are working together in your communities. The biggest thing I would say is, though, try really hard to get involved in your communities because it's so much better when you have people to talk to and you can do it face to face. There are opportunities as well for people online through, through what we call distributed organizing. And I talk a lot about that in the book, where people who live in really blue places like here in New York City can get involved in working in purple places. And they can do it through groups like Swing Left, which is another resistance group, um, and many other groups that have been doing um, have been creating a conduit for people who live in blue areas to channel their efforts into purple or even red areas. But I think that having that kind of personal connection and this this opportunity to find people who are like-minded will not only get you involved and channel you into really, you know, potentially really effective forms of activism, but it also will help sustain you. Because the other message that I think is really important is that politics is, you know, a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's and, not. and certainly what we're dealing with right now, living in Trump's America, is not about a quick sprint to, you know, Tuesday. It's a quick, you know, it's a long marathon to get to 2020. And there are so many different things that are important. And it's not just about national politics. It's about local politics and local engagement and really, you know, trying to create what we envision for America. I couldn't have said it better than that, Dana. That was fantastic. And so where can people find American Resistance? You can find the book American Resistance in most bookstores. I would say try an independent bookstore if you can, but it is also available online easily. So look at, you know, look it up, check it out and, you know, let me know what you think. Fantastic. Dana, thank you so much for joining us today in the studio. It's been a pleasure to sit here with you. I'm looking forward to finishing the book, which I've had for a couple of days now, but I'm so excited about it. I'm also looking forward to finding other ways to to engage and join in the resistance and also to give people opportunities to figure out what's the best choice for them. So I love that you said find people in your community, think about local engagement, think about the fact that it's a marathon, not a sprint. Mm -hmm. And change doesn't happen usually very quickly when it comes to politics, right? No, change very rarely happens quickly. So it's, it's really about being persistent and, you know, persistence in your engagement with the resistance. I love that. Persistence. Be persistent in your engagement with the resistance. You heard it here first. <laughs> Thank you, audience, for tuning in. I'm your host, Damali Peterman, and this is Breakthrough Barriers with Damali. Continue to break through and have a wonderful day. Do you have any barriers that we can help you break through? If so, you can leave a brief message at 646-363-6322 or on our interactive blog at www.breakthroughadr.com. Please follow us on Twitter, 
Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at the at sign B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H capital A capital D capital R. I'm your host, Damali Peterman, and this is Breakthrough Barriers with Damali. Although I am a lawyer, mediator, and an educator, and many of my co-hosts will represent various professions, we want to be clear that we are not providing legal advice, counseling, or suggestions. Our goal is to provide a roadmap for conflict resolution to generate future conflict resolvers. Continue to break through and have a wonderful day.